We are blessed as a church with people who serve. You see people on stage. There's people in the back who are handing out bulletins. There's people who have prepared these materials that we have. And I want to take a minute and I want to say thank you. The slides that we have, Andrea put those together for the whole week. Um, Karen puts this bulletin together every week for us. The prayer cards were put together. There's so much that's going on behind the scenes. I want to say thank you. And I'd like us to give a hand of applause to all of those who have served so much. This is an exciting week, and there's a lot going on. Have you ever, though, allowed your expectations to prevent you from seeing something that was right in front of your face? I I have a story. I have lots of stories, but I have a story for this one. About 10 years ago, roughly, Emily and I had the opportunity to visit the White House, the West Wing of the White House in the Oval Office. And it was a really cool opportunity. There was one catch. The only catch was that Uh, We needed to go at night after everyone was done working. We still had to go through security stuff, but we weren't going to actually interact with the president. He was going to be gone by this point. But still, it was an opportunity to go into the West Wing of the White House and into the Oval Office. We thought this is going to be great. No one's going to be there, sure, but we're still going to go. So we uh, went out to D.C. We got dressed up because you don't visit the White House in your T-shirt and jeans. So we put on our suit, and Emily put on a nice dress, We passed through security. A White House staffer met us at the end of the security line and took us into the White House. And we were walking through the White House, through the hallways, and one of the things that was striking to me was that there were pictures of then-President Obama all over the White House, paintings, various artwork, but depicting the president. And we were standing in one of the hallways at the bottom of a staircase looking at a picture of President Obama, and somebody comes up to us, an older gentleman puts his arms around us and says, that is the nicest man I've ever met. And I looked at him and I said, I bet he is. And then I looked as he turned and walked away and saw suits, black suits, with earpieces following him. I completely missed it. It was Vice President Biden, our president now, who had come up to us and talked to us with his arms around us, I missed it. Because my expectations were wrong. I was not expecting to see anybody important. He wasn't actually supposed to be there that day. But I missed it because of my expectations. Expectation can determine so much of what you see and of what you experience. Expectation is critical. In Luke chapter 19, if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, In Luke chapter 19, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus. We're going to see that he is the sovereign Messiah, the Messiah of Israel. And that warrants a very important question, a question that stems from our expectations. And that question is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? We're going to be in the book of Luke. We're going to look at Luke 19, and before we read the passage, I want to tell you a little bit about the book of Luke. The book of Luke was written by Luke, a physician, and he also wrote the book of Acts. We're supposed to read them together. It's a two-part histiography in which Luke details the life of Jesus. It starts with his birth, 
and the book of Luke really focuses on movement towards Jerusalem. The book of Acts takes Jerusalem and moves to the world. So together we've got movement to Jerusalem, movement back out to the world, and together they form a history. And Luke is intending to tell us exactly what happened. So let's look at Luke 19, and we're going to start by reading in verse 28, and we'll read through this passage. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let's pray. Father, as we dig into Luke and the story of what we call the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would recognize you, that we would choose you, and that we would be committed to you. I pray that you would open our hearts to the message of your word and that your word would touch each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I want to point out to you in this passage is that Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. Specifically, nothing catches him by surprise because he's purposeful in everything that he does. Jesus is sovereign, and he is purposeful in all that he does. Look at verses 28 through 29. We see in these verses, if you're looking at them, that Jesus went to Jerusalem. Why is that impactful? Why is that important? Remember, Luke is writing about everything moving towards Jerusalem. Luke is also telling us that Jesus went to Jerusalem on purpose. Jesus knew what was going to happen. As we look at Palm Sunday, we have 2020 hindsight in that we know 
what's coming Friday. We know what's coming Sunday. The disciples at this point didn't. Jesus did. And he chose purposefully to go to Jerusalem. But more than just choosing to go to Jerusalem and being purposeful on that, he even planned out the small little details. He planned out all of the small details. Look what happens. He comes down from the Mount of Olives, or approaching to the Mount of Olives, and he sends his disciples ahead of him. And he sends them on a mission. A very, very specific, very carefully planned out mission. They are to go to the village, and they're to find a colt, a donkey. I want to take you real quick to Zechariah 9. In your Bibles, look at Zechariah 9. And I want to read to you Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what awaited him. And he knew that he had certain tasks that needed to be planned out. One of those was he needed to triumphantly present himself as the king, as the Messiah. And so he planned out even the small details. Go to the village. You're going to find a colt tied up. Loose that colt. The owner's going to come out and he's going to ask you what you're doing. I mean, can you imagine if somebody showed up at your door and you walked out and you saw them tapping the wires together under the ignition of your car? And you said, what are you doing? They said, oh, my, my master needs this. Jesus had planned out every detail. We don't understand how it worked, but it did. But then in 32 to 34, what I see is that it all worked out just as Jesus had said it would. All those little details that Jesus had planned fell into place just as he said. I don't know about you, but that never happens for me. The details never work out. In fact, I'm convinced that the act of planning is simply so that I can say that I did it when it goes wrong. Um, I believe it was um, maybe Eisenhower who said, no plan survives the first encounter with the enemy. Sun Tzu, thank you. Plans don't work out. Jesus' plans did. His best laid plans turned out to be exactly right. That's the sovereign Messiah that we serve. So, what's the point of all of this? What's the action step? What is it that we can do? What we can do is I want to encourage you to make this week a contemplative week. You see, Easter is coming. We have days to prepare for Easter, and we should use them. I don't know about you. I mentioned in my newsletter, I oftentimes find myself sometime around Friday of Easter week, saying, wait, it's Easter on Sunday. I'm encouraging you, I'm reminding you, today, it's Easter in seven days. 
Let's prepare our hearts and mind to celebrate the most important event in our history. Let's prepare ourselves for that. You're going to have an opportunity to do that today with Stations of the Cross. And if you are going to Stations of the Cross, as you walk that, contemplate that everything Christ did was purposeful. As he gave himself, every aspect of that was according to prophecy. It was purposeful. Christ was in complete control. Contemplate that this week. Let's go on in the passage, though. The second point I want you to see comes out of verses 35 through 40. And what I want you to see here is that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of Israel, the Christ. And as such, there are two responses to Jesus. There's only two. There are two responses to Jesus. We'll get to the first response right away. Look, as Jesus comes down from the Mount of Olives and enters the city, we see the people praising, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the first response that we can have to Jesus. To declare that he is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I want you to notice the reason that Luke gives us for their acknowledging of who Jesus is. It was for all the miracles that they had seen. What they had seen in Jesus clearly told them, this is the Messiah. This is Jesus. I want you to also note something, though. The Pharisees had also seen the miracles of Jesus. It's interesting. Two groups of people saw the same thing and had radically different interpretations of that event, of those events. But the people noticed this is nothing short of God sending his Messiah, Jesus. He is the anointed one, the Christ. It's reminiscent, probably actually exactly comes from Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, written hundreds of years earlier, Verse 26 says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is exactly what the people are shouting, declaring Psalm 118. God has come. That's what Psalm 118 is about. God has come. Blessed is the one who's coming in the name of the Lord. This is nothing short of God. And then Luke adds on the second thing that they said, peace. Peace in heaven. And glory in the highest. The right response to Jesus, when you see Jesus, is to boldly declare, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have peace in heaven. That's peace with God. That's something we needed. It's striking because we declare peace with God. But how do the Pharisees respond? How do those others, the second response respond. Verse 19 says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. The second response to Jesus is, how dare you? How dare you allow people to give you this honor? How dare you declare yourself to be the Messiah? 
Silence them. What they are saying is terrible. Don't allow that to happen. Those are the two responses. There is praise for Jesus. Declaring him, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Declaring Jesus to be Messiah. Or rejection of Jesus as Messiah. Those are your only two choices. C.S. Lewis is famous for what's called his trilemma. There's actually earlier people who had said this, but C.S. Lewis is probably the most famous for declaring of Jesus, he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. That's who he is. He's either Lord of all. He is either exactly who he said he is, or he is a lying lunatic. Those are the only choices we get with Jesus. So what is the action step that we should take in this? We choose to accept Jesus as Lord. Choose to make Jesus your Lord. I want to take a second and talk about this for just a minute. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, that is the first step. That is the critical step. This week is all about preparing for Jesus' death and his resurrection. And we are going to talk a lot about the significance of his death on Friday. Jesus' death is the payment for sins, the only payment for sins. And his resurrection is a demonstration that he has been victorious, that he paid it. It's paid in full and it's accepted by God. Jesus died for our sins. The first step to choose to accept Jesus as Lord is to admit that you're a sinner and Jesus died for your sins. I'm asking you, though, for something more than just that. If you haven't done that, absolutely. I'm asking you to go a step further. And don't just accept Jesus as Savior. Accept him as Lord. Accept him as the one who bought you, who rules over you, who has the right to tell you what to do. That's what it means to accept Jesus as Lord. To enter the city not on a donkey, a lowly donkey, but on a white horse to overthrow the Roman Empire. Jesus didn't come to do that. Jesus came to bring peace between us and God. The Pharisees missed it because they weren't looking for the right thing. They did not accept Jesus as Savior or Lord. Choose to accept Jesus as Lord. Oftentimes when we talk about Palm Sunday, that's sort of where we end the story. The stones will cry out, Jesus is God. He is Lord. But the next four verses are actually critical to our understanding of Palm Sunday. Because I want you to see in the next four verses that Jesus is the God of Israel and he wanted his people to recognize him. Many of you are parents, teachers, have worked with people of various ages, and you've probably had this experience of watching somebody make exactly the wrong decision and wanting to make the right decision for them. This happens to me in the classroom is, you know, beginning of the semester, students come in and they're excited about all of the college parties they're going to get to attend, and all of the various college life they're going to get to experience, and I'm sitting there thinking, 
don't do it, don't do it. I know where this goes. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to buckle down. And then at the end of the semester, one of the hardest things that I have to do is when I have to give a failing grade to a student. It rips my heart. I'm sure some of you have experienced that in various, whether it's as a parent, whether it's as a teacher. I want you to look at Jesus' experience here. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he sees the city, and what does he begin to do? He weeps over it. God wants his people to enjoy his peace. God wants you to enjoy the peace that Jesus offers. The freedom from sin that Jesus offers. Palm Sunday was an amazing victorious of the king being presented. But even in that moment, Jesus knew they didn't understand. He wanted them to see the peace that he so longed for them to have. He wanted them to enjoy his peace. In fact, verses 43 through 44 are striking. Jesus describes the destruction of Jerusalem that would come in AD 70 under Emperor Titus. In such vivid detail that many scholars argue that Luke must have had to have written the book of Luke after AD 70, because there's no way that Luke could have written the vivid detail under which Jerusalem was destroyed. No, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew that the very Pharisees who were so concerned about Jesus being the king would in fact lose the peace that they so longed for because they rejected him as king. Those who reject God reject peace. Those who reject Jesus reject the opportunity for peace. I have an action step for you. Here's my challenge. This week, take some time to study Jesus so that you will recognize him, that you will recognize his work, so that when Good Friday comes, we can mourn the suffering and death that he endured. And when Easter comes, we can celebrate the resurrection that guarantees, that seals our future resurrection. We need to build our expectations so that we can honor Jesus. In your bulletins on the, what would be the third page, the inside cover, there is an optional Easter reading plan. I want to give you a challenge. Will you study Jesus this week in preparation for Easter? The big challenge, try to read all four Gospels this week. I think it takes about an hour a day. If you'll read your Bible for an hour a day, I think you could read all four Gospels this week. But that might be asking a lot. So let me ask you for something smaller. Will you study the life of Jesus in the last week leading up to the crucifixion? See who Jesus is. See the things that he's did. See the things that he said. 
build your expectations so that when Easter comes, we can celebrate not just Christ's resurrection. That's hugely important. I don't want to understate that. But that we can celebrate Jesus himself as the Savior of the world, as the solution, the one who is coming, has come in the name of the Lord, the one who brings peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The whole reason we are here is because of Jesus. Let's make this week about Jesus. It's only a week. But will you devote yourself to studying Jesus? We can make it a contemplative week. We can choose to make Jesus as Lord. We can honor Jesus by studying who he is. Because we look forward to that resurrection, which is our hope. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15.20, our scripture memory verse of the month. Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 15.20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15.20. He has been raised from the dead, Let's get to know him, to know the one who's our Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. As we celebrate Palm Sunday and this point where Jesus was presented as Messiah, he was presented as King, but yet so many missed him. And by the end of the week, he had been completely rejected. I pray that we would desire to know him so that when we see him, we would recognize him, so that our expectations would be right, so that when we are presented with Jesus and presented with the question, what will you do with Jesus? Our answer is make him Lord of my life. Help us to know Jesus. Help us to know how he taught, to know how he lived, to know him so well that we become like him. In Jesus' name, amen.